That's a lovely plaid shirt you have on. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Welcome to my favorite haunting the podcast. I'm Mel. I'm Ames. We're here with episode 35 and some more ghost stories for you. How are you doing? Yeah. Can't complain, I guess. I mean, I could, but I won't. Okay. <laughs> complain to me later. Uh, do you have anything? I don't think I have anything. No, no news. Should just jump right in? Why not? Who's going first? I don't know. <laughs> I can. So difficult. You can go first. So today I did Iolani Palace in Honolulu, Hawaii. And a lot of the names are Hawaiian, so I did look up how to pronounce them, but they're still very difficult words, so uh, just uh, keep that in mind. Oahu. No. Aloha. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, no. I think I was thinking of Mahalo, and I don't know why I said Oahu. That's a place. <laughs> okay, go. So um, today the palace is a museum, and there's a a little background we need to go into before we actually talk about the building itself. So the king that built the palace, Kalakau, married Princess Kapiolani in 1863 and became king in 1874. And then um, construction started on the palace in 1879 and was completed in 1882. And he was the last king of the Kingdom of Hawaii. And the palace was ahead of its time with the first building to have electric lights in Hawaii and indoor plumbing and modern communication system, the telephone. Wow. <laughs> and what are we, 1880s? Uh, 1882. Wow, telephones. <laughs> After... Kalakalu's death in 1891, his sister, Queen Lili Olu took over both the palace and the kingdom, the first female monarch and the last to rule. And uh, she, one thing of note, she was fond of cigars. That'll come back later. Oh, cigar smells. I love the smell of cigars. I hate, like I've tried smoking them, mm -hmm. and I'm not a fan of the taste. <laughs> But, like, if somebody else is smoking one, mm -hmm. I love that smell. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I like pipe smoke, I guess, probably because oh. it reminds me of my grandpa. Pipes remind me of my grandfather. Yeah. In 1893, the monarchy was overthrown. The new government seized the palace and held Queen Lili Uokalani as prisoner in her own home. Oh. And she was a great lover of music, having written the song... Aloha Oi, while in captivity. She spent hours composing songs, poetry, needlework, and quilting during her imprisonment. Many of her works are among the collection of ancient and modern artifacts on display at the museum. Locals believe that mana, or unexplained energy forces, are within these artifacts. I think that they say that contributes to part of the hauntings. There. I mean, that makes sense. If she was held prisoner and then created those things, she essentially put a piece of herself into them. Yeah. 
On the grounds, there's a fenced-off area with a sign reading Kapu, which translates to danger or keep out. The space within the fence is an ancient burial site of the royal Kamahamaha and Queen Kamamalu. Many members of the monarchy were also buried there. In 1865, their bodies were exhumed and relocated to the Royal Mausoleum of Hawaii. In 1993, an ahu, or stone altar, was built on the grounds of the palace for the 100th anniversary of the overthrow of the monarchy. It symbolized the unity of the island, with people bringing rocks from all the islands to comprise the altar. So that's it for the history of Iolani Palace, and we can move on to the hauntings. On to the haunting. So there's, of course, the prevalent footsteps heard in the empty palace when people are gone, and then also distant voices. Disembodied lights and orbs have also been witnessed and photographed all over the palace grounds at various times of day. Uh, visitors smell unexplained cigar smoke. And smoke is seen around the palace grounds, particularly near the statue of Queen Lili Uokalani. She's the one that likes cigars. Yes. And the cigar smell is, like, outside the palace, and, like, the entire grounds is smoke-free zone, so. (laughs) I'm just picturing her, like, her invisible spirit. Like, leaning and chilling on her own statue, smoking a stogie. (laughs) Just like, yeah, bitches, I got a statue, what's up? They see uh, strange lights in the palace turret, and this particular turret was not wired for electricity, and I'm assuming it's still not wired for electricity. Carefully, you know what happens when you assume. Um, Light sometimes shines out of the room where the queen was imprisoned, and a woman dressed in black is often seen in the dressing room that the queen frequented or peering out of the window that she was imprisoned in. The guards of the royal families are still seen rattling their keys, well, they're heard rattling their keys, and seen Mm -hmm. patrolling the palace grounds. Mm -hmm. Unexplainable shadows and lights are seen by security guards around the palace at night. After hours, the palace security would set the alarm, and on random nights, they would be called back to the museum for the alarm going off. After thorough inspection of the palace, the guards would find the queen's bedroom door unlocked and ajar. They would reset the alarm and close and relock the door, and hours later would return again for the alarm going off, and the queen's (laughs) room would again be unlocked and open. And the security guards say that around 5.30 in the morning... The queen's ghost can be seen wandering around. They have also heard the piano playing in the blue room. The thing about this piano? It has no strings. No. Oh. It's in a glass case. Oh. Like a locked glass case. So you can't, like, someone can't be, like, just walking past and, <laughs> like, like, touch the keys like, and then, like, go out, go out of the room yeah. and you can still hear it. No. That can't happen. That's funny. That's just as good as having no strings. <laughs> and um, Unless so, they have a rodent problem. Ew. And it's like there's a mouse like running across the keys or something. <laughs> uh, some of the workers uh, that work in one of the palace auxiliary buildings have reported everything from lights turning on and off by themselves to eerie sensations to other noises they can't explain. And 
it is claimed that those with bloodline connection to the royal family can hear chanting or Hawaiian music playing in the ups- in one of the upstairs bedrooms. But no one else can hear it. Only bloodlines. Wow. And um, Oh, that's like your ancestors, like, calling out to you. I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> I can't decide if that's comforting or creepy. Probably both. Yeah. Depends on the circumstances, I guess. So for around the palace grounds, there's there are three entry gates. One was for public use, one was for servants, and the third was only open to invited guests of the king. And people have reported seeing an ancient Hawaiian chieftain standing near the gate and have felt icy fingers touch their skin when they enter it. Oh, no, I don't like the icy fingers. One of the more creepy stories I came across... Well, I guess it's creepy because it involves a kid. Um, so the princess that married the last king of Hawaii, Kapiolani, she used to, before she married the king, she used to take care of, um, I want to say he's like her great nephew or some kind of relation to her, um, but he was a prince, Albert. Prince Albert. I'm he, sorry. It was. It, he was Prince Albert Kamahamaha. <laughs> so okay. part English, part Hawaiian name. But um, he was the son of King Kamahamaha IV. She treated him like her own child, but he died when he was four. Police were called to Iolani Palace to investigate the appearance of puddles of water with tiny footprints in them leading to a painting of the prince in Kapiolani's former room. The painting was moved to the state capital, and there have since been reports of a small child seen wandering their halls there. That one was a little creepy. And um, there are two personal accounts I came across. One is from a guy that gives ghost tours around Honolulu. Uh, this particular, he was actually on a, one of the ghost tour things that stopped at Yolani Palace. This one was a Valentine's weekend ghost tour. Sweet. <laughs> and um, he was telling stories about double murder suicides. Cute. Romantic. I like it. <laughs> So as he was telling the stories, the men of the group started getting upset because they realized the majority of the stories were about women taking revenge on cheating husbands or cheating men. Um, Get it, girl. <laughs> so then the men, <laughs> the men demanded a Hawaiian prayer be made just in case. Um, so they went to the Barramanda Iolani Palace um, because I guess it's a holy site to make prayers like that at. The storyteller guy, uh, his name was Lopaka Kapanui. So he, you know, did the prayer. And when he was done, you know, they were all getting ready to turn to leave. Someone took his picture. In Uh this picture, you can Uh see his legs Uh and an arm Uh and a white misty Uh blur, but no head and shoulders. He sent the photo to the Department of Psychical Research at John F. Kennedy University He got a reply back saying that it couldn't be photoshopped. The amount of detail is too great. 
and the parapsychologists also suggested that Kapa Nui might have been standing in an opening between the land of the living and the land of the dead. Oh, that gave me chills. Oh, and this was I'm, on, like, the holy spot. Yeah. For the prayer. Near the burial ground, yeah. yeah. Or, burial mount, near the burial yeah. mount. Um, oh. I'm going to burst your bubble. Oh. Well, maybe, maybe not, because I took a, like, that was, I was watched a news clip from a Honolulu channel that he was selling this on, and he they showed the picture, so I took a screen grab of it, mm-hmm. so we can look at it. Mm-hmm. I have a very similar looking picture mm-hmm. of one of the boys. Mm-hmm. He was like had his hand up because he didn't want me to take his picture, mm-hmm. and he was like waving it like this, mm-hmm. and it kind of blurred. But you know, he was—I don't think he was moving that fast that he would blur like that. Yeah, that doesn't. I think I want to see it. Yeah, but I mean, it can happen. Like. Things can happen when you take a picture that, like, weird things. The picture looks weird, but there's no, like, supernatural thing to it. Yeah, of course. I don't know about this picture and what kind of camera or all that kind right. of stuff, That, but it still looks creepy. Yeah. Well, but what about the white mist? Because um, there's the blur, but then you said there was a mist, too. Well, it's like a white blurry kind of mist-looking thing, and, like, when he was... I saw two different clips, and he was talking about this two different times, Mm -hmm. like two different years or something. Mm -hmm. One year, he didn't explain it, and then the other year, he said it was like the flash reflection on his leather jacket. That's what the white, shiny thing is. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, Mm -hmm. you'll have to look at it to see see what it looks like. Wait, did you send it to me? Yeah, I did. Oh, let me look at it right now. Bullshit! Half of him is missing. Like, you can see through him. Like, this other guy, like, the photo in general is pretty blurry. That's probably because it's dark. And, yeah, I see what he's saying about, like, his leather jacket reflecting because it looks like his jacket's kind of glowing. Mm-hmm. But, like, his head is straight up not there. Yeah, 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 his head's not there. You can see, like, behind. Like, clearly you can see trees and stuff. It looks like somebody took the image of his torso in his hand and put it on this photo. <laughs> but if there, if he had an expert verify that it's not Photoshopped. Yeah. But yeah, that's what he said that someone from John F. Kennedy university checked it out. You can't even see legs. There's no legs in this. It's just a floating torso with a hand. There's no legs. There's no legs. Maybe I chopped him out on accident. No, you can see the gate behind him or the fence. Yeah. But the right. Under his fingertips, that, that's, that's not his no, legs. that's not, no, you can still, there's like a shadow, it's dark in the background, hmm. but you can still see the fence spokes. I guess I didn't realize that when I was looking at it. So it literally, <laughs> it just looks like a floating torso and an arm. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a creepy picture. Unless somebody was doing like, if they were doing, um, if they were doing a panoramic where you scan the... Mm-hmm the phone because um no we've done it i think was that you that i had you hold the phone and do the pat on the beach yeah and i ran around and there was like three of me in the photo Mm -hmm. but one of them like it didn't get me right and i'm missing a leg Mm -hmm. and then part of my arm is like funky 
Yeah, but those are still very clear, and the other people in that picture are blurry, right? Right. Well, yeah. th- but that again, that could be the lighting because okay. if you try to take um, pictures when it's dark and you don't have the flash on, mm-hmm. although if he's saying that the f- flash was reflecting off of his jacket and that's what made the yeah, thing, I, yeah, it's like there's a lot of questions. <laughs> we'll post it and ask for opinions. There's just one other personal. Um, account from I think this is a woman oh yes it's it's a woman because she's wearing a skirt in the story so yeah I would hope <laughs> I mean hey gender is fluid don't judge okay but I think it's safe to assume that it's a woman for, for the most part yes <laughs> I hope uh so she says years ago I worked across the street from Iolani Palace I would find different places to eat my sack lunch and sometimes wandered into the park that surrounded the palace One afternoon, the grass was damp and I was wearing a light-colored skirt, so looked for a better place to sit. I sat on a rock wall. As I opened my bag to take out my sandwich, I felt the rocks trying to bump me off. (gasps) I quickly stood up and saw the sign, which I initially overlooked, that read, Kapu, meaning it was a forbidden area. Reading another marker, I learned that the wall surrounded the grave of a Hawaiian king. It is said that kahuna, or Hawaiian sorcerers, would imbue spirits of the dead into the rocks in sacred areas to guard and protect. I have no doubt that this is what I felt. I never went back to the park around the palace again. I'd always noticed when I'd go there that the air seemed thick and heavy even on sunny days, that there should have been more birds singing, and the traffic noises from the busy surrounding Honolulu business district were muted. The palace itself is lovely, and I have taken the tour. No strange vibes there. When it gets weird is on some of the grounds around the palace. It can feel very strange. Don't sit on the sacred burial mound. I'm just picturing, like, the rocks of the wall, like, (laughs) jumping up and, like throwing her get off like me. she's like riding like a bucking bronca like you know like in the bar the <laughs> mechanical bull <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. that one that one the mechanical bull but it's rocks that would be creepy like rock man just like comes up out of the ground it's the thing <laughs> get off my rocks what is that the does the thing have a catchphrase I was going to say smash, but that's Hulk. But he's like Hulk, but rock. So (laughs) what is his thing? I don't know. He's just like grouchy. Yeah. Why are they all grouchy? I mean, if you are made out of rocks, he (laughs) reminds me of, so I I love Michael Chiklis as the thing. (laughs) And he reminds me of Raphael in the first Ninja Turtles movie when he like dresses in the trench coat. No. (laughs) And it reminds me of the scene in the first Ninja Turtles movie when Raphael goes out dressed in the trench coat. I think their faces are kind of similar. Oh, that's terrible. And they're both very surly. Yes. And they're very... But deep down, they want to do good. Yes, they do. (laughs) Grouchy with a heart of gold. The thing is really Raphael. Oh my God. It's Raphael as rocks. Raphael got turned into rocks. And that's all for Eulani Palace. <laughs> oh, back on topic. Is that what we're talking about? We're talking about ghosts. Okay. A little bit. All right. So I did The Haunting of the Perrin Family, Ooh. which 
was the basis for the movie The Conjuring. So the history behind this one's a little bit of a shit show. And it's funny because I was thinking that this is going to be my longer one. Yeah. But I think this is going to be short. Because, <laughs> I mean, we all – if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen The Conjuring. Probably. Um, it's a great movie. According to Lorraine Warren and Andrea Perrin, mm-hmm. um, who were both uh, – uh, shit, what do you call them? Not experts. Supervisors? No. Uh, consultants? Oh, yeah. On the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's nothing that happened in the movie that didn't happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't all in one night. Oh, and, like, yeah. that movie makes it look like they moved in and stuff was, like, immediate. And then, like, within days, the Warrens are there. And, like, no, like, it happened over years. And then, like, I so I watched it last night to, like, refresh myself, too. And at the end of the movie, they're like... Um, one of them says, I think it's Lorraine says, oh, somebody wants to talk to us about a case in Long Island and it's mm-hmm. supposed to hint you to Amityville, uh-huh. which was the late 70s. And the parents moved into this house in 1970, the end of okay. 1970. So um, the things that happened were over the course of like a decade. They lived okay. there until 1980. Um, so in the movie, although I will give you that the movie is – most likely very embellished. Actually, it is very embellished, especially mm-hmm. that exorcism scene at the end. Yeah. Something similar happened, but it's very embellished. Like, they mm-hmm. didn't do an exorcism. Uh, Carolyn was possessed, but it wasn't... They did a seance. Like, it wasn't... It's not what they... What the movie makes it out to be. Um, the history in the movie... So, they blame everything on a witch who lived on or owned the property mm-hmm. back in the 1800s. And, um, the whole thing was like, their whole thing was she was there and, um, they get to the end and Lorraine figures out her whole thing is, if you haven't seen this movie, spoilers, um, pause it, pause this podcast and go watch it quick. Mm -hmm. Um, go watch it quick. It's like two hours, (laughs) but it's really good. It's worth it. Um, also Ron Livingston. Oh, swoon. I love his eyebrows. (laughs) I do. I'm a sucker for eyebrows. Colin Farrell, those eyebrows, man. I, I don't know what it is. Anyways, this is off topic. Um, the, So Lorraine figures out at the end, she's like, oh, she possesses the mother to kill the children. Because mm-hmm. in life, this woman had allegedly been killing children as like satanic sacrifices. And everything. Okay. So all of that is unsubstantiated. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a woman, Bathsheba Thayer, uh, or Bathsheba. I think it's Bathsheba. And she was born in Rhode Island in 1812. And in 1844, she married Judson Sherman. Um, And they moved into, so they moved onto this huge lot of property. um, But they were the original, or not the original, because the the parents' house was built in 1726. Um, But they lived there they mm-hmm. moved into that house and they lived there like generations mm-hmm. um so this is why it's a little bit shady so the story goes um they moved into that farmhouse um where the witchcraft story start is Bathsheba was caring for an infant possibly of a neighbor who died um, under her care, mm. supposedly from a stab wound to the skull with a large sewing or a knitting needle. Oh, there were also claims that like she raised one child of her own to adulthood. So really she had four kids. 
Okay. Three of them died, Mm -hmm. which is another place that the witchcraft accusations may have started. Um, But it's the 1800s. Like, you know, infant mortality was pretty high Um, or even just child mortality. Like, you know, medical care was not what it is today. However, she's buried in the Harrisville Cemetery. So at that time, if the townspeople really felt strongly that she'd been practicing witchcraft or Satan worship or any of that, Mm -hmm. they probably wouldn't have allowed her to be buried in the cemetery. Yeah. Like it would have been an uproar. But the story goes on that she went to trial over the death of the infant, um, but was acquitted due to lack of evidence. I feel like that also doesn't add up. If you're in charge of a baby Mm -hmm. and somebody finds that baby with a knitting needle in its skull, like, there's only so many ways that could happen. Yeah. I think most of them involve your hand putting the needle into, you know? Yeah. The only other accusations against her were the um against the hired help there were accusations of abuse against the hired the hired help um like she wouldn't feed them okay. she'd physically abuse them um which i think there's that one scene in the conjuring of uh <laughs> the when they're doing the investigation and the cop is there mm-hmm. and he hears like whispering and he goes to investigate and he's like all skeptical mm-hmm. and then he go, looks in the laundry room and there's somebody dressed as a maid standing in there and she's like, look what she made me do. And she's showing, like, her wrists are slit. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like that maybe hints to that, to those accusations. Okay. Um, but the other thing that the movie had was her, was Bathsheba, hanging herself from a tree in the backyard by the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Lorraine's in the basement, she has a vision of her, like, the feet oh, dropping down yes. when she's hiding under the thing. Um, that didn't happen. She died in 1885 at the age of 73 from a quote unquote strange case of paralysis. Um, and the doctor said that it was as if her body had turned to stone. Like she was like rock hard. I don't think it's literal. She turned to stone, (laughs) but which supposedly again fueled the rumors of her being a witch. But then again, if they really thought that she wouldn't be in the cemetery. So, um, so it's a little, the history is a little hazy. There's another blog just to present all sides. I think this guy's a little, um, out there. I mean, I don't want to portray him in a negative light, but I think he's very passionate Oh, okay. about history. Um, but reading his blog, so you can read it, you can read it. It's a dreaming casually poetry.blogspot.com. And he refers to himself as a history reporter. It's almost like he took no, it, it it he did take personal offense to these rumors. Okay, and like as you read the blog on, he gets more and more passionate, like aggressively defensive. Oh, okay, about it. Yeah, well, yeah, passionate. Yeah, we could say a passionate, passionately defensive. He, I mean, it reads as very aggressive. Um, Is he a descendant? I don't think so. I think he, I don't think so. He, yeah. So that movie came out and he was really upset about it because, you know, she wasn't a witch and there's no proof of that. But then he even says like, they never lived in that house. They never lived on the property, but the property back then was like 200 acres or something and, um, or more. And I mean, like 
everywhere else, like that's the, like they live there. And Mm -hmm. Carolyn Perrin did like, she did research and which made it. So Andrea Perrin, the daughter, one of the daughters, she wrote a series of books about her family's experiences. Mm -hmm. She had her mother's, her mother's research that she did into the history of the property and who had lived there. And like, she came up as Mm -hmm. having lived there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and also, so that's the name they got. That's the name that the Warrens got, Bathsheba, Mm -hmm. um, in doing their, like, you know, their investigation. But if they're going to, I mean, it was pretty apparent that it was demonic. Mm -hmm. Demons lie. Yeah. Like, they could be saying that that's her. Like, look at Annabelle. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the prime (laughs) example. Like, yeah, I'm Annabelle. I'm a little girl. Like, no, it's not a little girl. Mm -hmm. It's, It's an inhuman, Ed calls it an inhuman... This is fresh in my head because it's at the beginning of The Conjuring, but mm-hmm. um, like an inhuman spirit, um, a spirit that's never walked the earth as a human, mm-hmm. a demon. So, you know, like demons lie, they manipulate. Who's to say that that was actually even her? Yeah. I mean, it could have been some presence that's been there since her time. You know? And used her yeah, likeness. I was, yeah. Well, I was thinking about like her, like the accusations of her being a witch what if it was this like a demonic spirit like doing stuff around her yeah back then creating circumstances yeah so the history is a little yeah wonky um but let's fast forward to the winter of 1970 and i'm sorry the house i think i said 1726 earlier it was built in 1736 um, so the Perrin family was Roger and Carolyn and their five daughters. Um, I don't remember all their names, but <laughs> Andrea and I think Cindy was the youngest. I think Andrea is the oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, so they moved into the house in the winter of 1970. Um, and at first everything was good. Like there were no issues at all. They had no reason, you mm-hmm. know, they lived there for a while and nothing happened. And then small things started happening. Which is typical in demonic hauntings, I guess. Is it still a haunting if it's a demon? But because they start small Mm -hmm. and the more you like feed it attention and play into it, they can feed off of that and build up and and then they gain more energy and then things start to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, So it started with like little things that would go missing Mm -hmm. or they seem to move on their own like you know oh i set this pen down right here on my desk and now it's over on the shelf mm-hmm. you know like i turned around and it was gone and now it's on the you know that that those kind of things not long after that though i couldn't find an exact time frame. i couldn't find an exact time frame for any of this mm-hmm. but it is over the course of about 10 years okay um carolyn was awoken one night by a very tall woman in an old gray dress and her head was hanging to the side and resembled a sack of cobwebs barf. And she had a warning for Carolyn. Uh, Get out, get out. I'll drive you out with death and gloom. So I took this from the lineup.com, but that quote and that account is everywhere. Like it's across Mm -hmm. multiple so I think this is um, – this would have been the first account of who they believe to be Bathsheba. Um, 
she had a lot of verbal warnings for Carolyn, and a lot of her attention was focused on Carolyn. Okay. So the theory is that she was threatened by her mm-hmm. because she, in life, she was the matriarch of that house. Yeah. And now here comes this new family, and Carolyn's the new matriarch. And she's like, no, 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 you can't <laughs> have my spot. Um, but so she had a lot of verbal warnings for her, but she also liked to just kind of pop up hmm. and it, like, um, make herself appear to her just to make sure. Um, <laughs> don't forget. I'm still here. I'm still here. Uh, she also apparently had a thing for Roger <laughs> okay. as she would touch him inappropriately when he was alone. Oh, that's from the 13th floor. Um, yeah, so she was really trying to stake a claim. I mean, if that was her or whoever was trying to pretend to be her, mm-hmm. um, wh- whatever that was, um, was really trying to, like, make a point and stake a claim. Like, this is mine. Get out. So over time, the spirit, whatever it was, whoever it was, became more aggressive and physical, um, moving on to pinching and slapping and focused, like I said, a lot of the attention on Carolyn. Carolyn was threatened with visions of fire and at one point was stabbed in the leg with a knitting needle. Oh. So she was sitting on the couch and she felt like a sharp pierce in mm. her calf. Oh. The back of her calf. Oh. Yeah. Knitting um, needles aren't sharp. I guess these ones were. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're pointy, but they're not like sharp. Like, Well, they presume it was a knitting needle because she, she looked down and it wasn't still in her leg, but it was nearby. And, mm-hmm. but like she, like it hurt, like she looked down to see what was going on and she sees blood just dripping yeah. down the back of her leg. And she's like, what then? There was like a hole, like ah. a puncture. Yeah. So she was stabbed with something. Yeah. I know. But like that had to be a lot of force to get a knitting needle in your skin. Ugh. Unless it was like a demon claw. Ew. Not any better. <laughs> <laughs> Pick your poison. Over time, the family, uh, came to the conclusion that there were anywhere up to nine other spirits in the house. Uh, there was one in particular who smelled like rotten meat. Ew. Yeah. Whenever that one was present, they'd, they'd feel like cold and then they would smell the like rotting meat smell. And which, so in the movie, they basically, they presented like it's all just this one spirit mm-hmm. or demon or whatever she is. Um, but there were actually, there were multiple, um, the family witnessed beds levitate off the floor and they believed at least one of the spirits dwelled in the basement, which they avoided as much as possible. But similar to the movie, the heating system would mysteriously fail Mm. often. So Roger would have to go down there to like start it back up. Uh And you know, like there was no, like it didn't make sense why it would, like there was no reason. Like it's not like the boiler was, or I don't know what kind of heating system they had, but the furnace was bad or. Or like there was an open window next to it or blowing it out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean. It's a basement. Yeah. But the flame shouldn't be exposed anyway. Yeah. I know. (laughs) It's like inside. (laughs) Why did they stay 10 years? Well, they were broke. Mm. Uh, I think they mentioned this in the movie. They're like, we dumped all our money into this house. Yeah. Like, we're stuck. Um, so it, it took them until 1980 to sell the house. They were stuck there for 10 years. Um, in the movie, 
this is another big difference in the mo- between the movie and real life. In the movie, they have Carolyn actually searches out the Warrens mm-hmm. and they have her going to like one of their lectures and then approaching them. Um, but what really happened was they reached out for help through a local paranormal group. Okay. That paranormal group then got in touch with the Warrens because it was okay. too big for their britches, I guess. Mm. Um, also, contrary to the movie in real life, when the Warrens showed up, things got worse. Uh, yeah, the activity picked up a lot. Um, they, and one night Lorraine conducted a seance. So it was just the adults. The kids were supposed to be away, but Andrea and Cindy were hiding like around the corner or in the hallway or somewhere and like spying as kids do, like, you know, what's going to happen. Um, so, and so Andrea accounts for this in her, one of her books, um, which, because I'm a sucker, I downloaded one of them. But so mm-hmm. Apple Books only has volume; it's three volumes, and they mm-hmm. only have volume one and volume three. Okay. They only have volume two. I don't That's know why, weird. but they're only three ninety nine. Hmm. So, um, yeah. So I at least want to read the first volume and see what yeah. she has to say. Uh, so so Lorraine conducts a séance. Um, so in the movie, this would have been the scene in the basement, the big exorcism scene when she's possessed and, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they leave the house, they go to a motel and then Carolyn goes back to the house Mm -hmm. and that's when they're, they're like, oh no, Carolyn's missing. Um, and that's when Lorraine does the whole, like, oh, she possesses the mother to kill the child. Mm -hmm. She went back to the house to kill. I think she brought one of the girls with her. Um, and they're like, we've got to stop her. And like, that didn't happen. But, um, that scene in the basement where she's in the chair, the chair levitates and yeah. turns upside down and they do the exorcism. So they never did the exorcism during the seance. Carolyn was possessed, uh, allegedly by Bathsheba, but again, mm-hmm. demons lie. So it could have been a demon just saying that's who it was. The witnesses there, as well as Andrea and Cindy who were hiding, uh, all witnessed Carolyn speaking in a language, not of this world was one of the, I think that was Andrea's quote. Um, Hmm. and then, or, you know, it was some kind of unidentifiable Yeah, and her voice changed. So Mm -hmm. she's speaking in a different voice in a strange tongue. And then her chair levitated off the floor and her body distorted. And then eventually she was thrown from the chair. All it says is that they de-demonized her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I don't know how that worked, but they were very clear that Ed did not perform an exorcism on her. Okay. Uh, after that, Roger kicked the Warrens out because he was fearing for his wife's mm-hmm. safety and well-being. Um, but they still couldn't afford to move. And I think, like I said, I think this was towards the end of the decade. So they were there for a couple more years until 1980 when they finally sold the house and they moved to Georgia. Um, oh, this was Harrisville, Long, uh, Rhode Island, by the way, not Long oh. Island. <laughs> I, for, I left that out. Harrisville, Rhode Island. So according to Andrea, some of the spirits had attached themselves to the family and followed them, and they were still haunted for years. There were other articles that, were, that said, you know, the family moved in, to Georgia in 1980 and never experienced another thing again. But, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. She wrote books. I mean, I, don't, I haven't read them yet. Yeah. But that's what she claims. Uh, her books are called House of Darkness, House of Light, and there's volumes one, two, and three. I've heard of that. 
another interesting tidbit, part of what inspired me to do this one, Mm -hmm. even though like a lot of the stuff's kind of shady and it's pretty straightforward and we all already kind of know the story. The house was recently sold again. Ooh. Uh, Corey and Jennifer Heinzen purchased the house and after they finished renovating, plan to open it to the public later this year. Ooh. They claim that it's still haunted, reporting... uh, They've experienced doors opening, footsteps, and knocking. Corey says it doesn't really feel evil. It just feels really busy. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot going on in there. There's not necessarily like an evil presence, but there's activity. Okay. Maybe the so. evil thing followed them to Georgia. Or it's just chilling. Maybe. It did take a while for stuff to, to start going, so... I don't know. We'll see. I mean, renovations always stir that stuff up. So we'll see what happens. I would love to go visit though. Um, And I have to think, actually, I've been wanting to do the story also anyway, but um, Angie from Indiana posted a link in our group chat the other day about uh, the house being sold and or bought and it's going to open for to the public. So I was like, oh, I should plug it because I want to go. And I'm also kind of like, how did I not know the house was for sale? I would have bought it. (laughs) Maybe not. I don't know. I don't really want to live with a demon. I was going to say, how many haunted houses do you need to own? (laughs) I mean, I don't own any right now. I know, but this is the second one you've talked about you could have bought. I know. Well, the other (laughs) one is local, though. The other one's like, I don't really want to be upstate, though. It's cold. (laughs) How's Rhode Island? I'd for be that? closer to you though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Rhode Island, you got like lobster rolls in the summer. If you like lobster, <laughs> I do. Okay, good. You don't like lobster? <laughs> no, I love lobster rolls. Had a really great lobster roll in Delaware on a gluten free bun. It wasn't quite the same because it's not like a a hot dog bun. It's mm-hmm. like a hamburger. It was like a hamburger bun, but. It was still really good. Anyway. <laughs> so that's the haunting of the Perrin family. Cool. So that's it for episode 35. Uh, so follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I was like froze for a second. I was like, wait, what are the other ones called? Um, join my favorite haunted group, the home of the paranormies. Uh, I finally got rid of those questions. So you just click join and then I say approve or one of us says approve. And, uh, if you have a ghost story of your own that you'd like us to share out, email it to us at my favorite haunting at gmail.com and rate review and subscribe. Did I get everything? I think that's everything. I got everything. Awesome. Thanks for potting with us.